It's time for Love Talk with the Lovelies, Kathy and Carrie, filling in for Evelyn today, interviewing a very special guest about the power of prayer. Hello, friends, and welcome to Love Talk. This is Coach Carrie Brinkater, and we are so grateful and so thankful that you have joined us here on Love Talk today with the Love Ladies. And joining me today is Kathy Inderbrock. Hey, Kath, how are you? Hey, Carrie, good morning. Hope you have your cup of coffee, friends. I've got mine in hand, plus an extra cup of water. It's a fantastic day, boy. It's been getting kind of warm, even all the way up here in Idaho, in the northwest part of the United States. Uh, today, it's supposed to be 101 degrees, and that is very, what? very hot for us. What? <laughs> yeah, it's like you're in Texas, Kath. I know. Well, okay, but the one difference between Idaho and Texas is that right about 6 o'clock tonight, it's going to start cooling off, and by about 10 o'clock tonight, it's going to be back down in the 70s, and it'll drop all the way into the 60s before tomorrow morning, so... Wow. You know, not to rub it in, Carrie, but... Yeah, thanks. I, I appreciate that. When I go on my morning exercise at 6 o'clock and it's already, you know, 81 degrees with uh, 90% humidity. Um, <laughs> I remember those mornings. But, you know, I'm looking forward to being in Texas with everyone uh, later in August, about August the 22nd and 24th. Third, 24th, we're going to get in studio together. So looking forward to that. I am missing Miss Evelyn today, but she's, you know, band planned something special for her. I tell you what, listeners, Kathy and I don't even know where Miss Evelyn is today because her sweet husband, Van, whisked her away on an anniversary trip. Um, not just any anniversary, 69 years. That was amazing. Years. Okay, so I, I was doing the math, and, you know, Miss Evelyn just turned 89 this year. So if it's her 69th birthday, she got married when she was 20, right? Mm-hmm. So right. she's going to have her 70th wedding anniversary when she turns 90. That is pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. What cracks me up about that is that Van was a teenager when they got married because, you know, Van is younger than her. <laughs> so, so Van was, uh, I guess, 19 when they married. Um, but what a precious gift. Um, Miss Evelyn and Van are to us and to all of our listeners and to so many people. Um, I, I, 69 years. I, I was talking to my husband about that earlier this week. Like, man, we, we can make it to 69 years because we got married when we turned 22. We had just turned 22. So, you know, maybe we'll make it. We'll see. <laughs> All right. So Miss Evelyn has, like, th- thrown down the gauntlet, and we have to rise to the occasion. Okay, well, God willing. And I'm just so excited to hear the story from this anniversary trip and, and where they went. And so we're looking forward to hearing that uh, next weekend. So you'll all want to be with us when we hear about that grand adventure. I just love the adventure that God gives us. I think, you know, we all we all have different adventures. There's no cookie-cutter Christian. Christian life, God takes us through so many different experiences. Some of them uh, we would rather not repeat. Some of them I'm looking forward to seeing the video of again when I get to heaven. And I, I love how he builds us and grows us through the adventure, through the experiences as we just step in and do life with him. Absolutely. And, you know, Kathy, I know we've said this over the last couple of weeks on the show, but 2020 has just been crazy. It it really has. I mean, it's like that, you know, subscription that you get that's like a free subscription. You know, you sign up for free and it's all going to be great. And then uh, you don't really like it. And so you go to cancel it, but can't figure out how to cancel it. And you have to jump through all these hoops. I feel like that's 2020. Um, you know, so many things are out of our control in this crazy year. And I've found that praying sometimes is is really all we can do is pray about the situation, pray about what's ahead, pray about school, pray about our kids, our teachers' health, all of those things, our parents' health, and and we just have to take it to Jesus. And we have a special guest today that uh, I can't wait to talk to you, and he is going to walk us through some things about prayer that are incredibly thought-provoking. You know, when I think about 2020, Carrie, and I'm, you know, I'm getting this uh, Bible study on prayer written, and I just, I look and say, okay, Lord, you knew 2020 was coming, and and this did not surprise you like it surprised all of us, and so he's prepared us for this moment. He has equipped each of us for um, the times that we are in, you know, just like we see him 
equipping and preparing King David and Gideon and Queen Esther in the Old Testament, just like we see him equipping uh, Paul and Peter in the New Testament, he's equipped and prepared us for this. And when I was going back and looking through um, the prayers that Jesus prayed, there is this incredible prayer that he prayed before he went to Gethsemane um, for his final prayer before he um, was crucified and died on the cross. And the prayer was for unity that we would not only be one with the father but we would be in unity with one another and i'm Mm -hmm. thinking wow okay lord you probably i could see you praying that prayer for us for 2020 for your Mm -hmm. bride in 2020 your church your children in 2020 because i you know i know that the enemy he not only wants to separate us from god he wants us he wants to separate us from one another because when we're separated from one another that's when he can wreak the most havoc and so i just mm-hmm. think about christ's prayer for unity for the church and um i'm thinking okay i can see christ up there you know intervening and um interceding on our behalf saying okay lord father remember the prayer that i prayed 2000 years ago I'm praying that prayer for my bride today. You know, it's so interesting that you say that, Kathy, because with our special guest today in his book, When People Pray, he actually states, you know, uh, the devil knows how dangerous prayer makes you to darkness. So he will do everything in his power to discourage and distract you from prayer. And, you know, Jesus was saying, look, we need to be unified in this and take all of this to the Father. Um Wow. Yeah. Thank you, Kathy, for that, because it's so very, very true. Um, You know, I I tell you, even in this crazy time, um, we're still trying to get out just a little bit, right, and and have some normalcy. Um, My son's playing basketball. I know your youngest is still playing basketball, which I I love. I love to be able to get back into the gym over the last couple of weeks. Um, And now we're preparing for the start of school. It's about three and a half weeks away. Uh, when do you guys start school, Cass? We go back on the 24th of August. Mm-hmm. That is our, uh, and, we, and we're looking forward to it. I mean, it, it's so funny yeah. because our girls generally, when it's time to start school, they're like, summer's <laughs> almost over. But this time, you know, I think when you realize that, hey, something can actually not be there for you when it's there, uh, it's it's exciting. And I just, I just am so thankful for all of our teachers who are just uh, stepping up and they're being creative on how to just keep things clean and safe. And they value these students. And I love those teachers who, you know, Carrie, one of the things that breaks my heart is how high the abuse rates have have gone and how Mm -hmm. they haven't been reported. And yet when these poor kids are showing up, to emergency rooms, they see the kind of abuse that they've they've been getting, that it's more severe. And I love that when kids go to school, they're not only learning and being fed and um, growing into incredible adults and developing character, but it's this safe haven for them. And I love the teachers who understand the value of that place, that safe place for them. And, um, you know, it breaks my heart a little bit for our nation uh, but I just cheer on these teachers who are getting creative and going, yeah, we're going to make this happen. We're going to we're going to do it. Absolutely. You know, I've thought about that a lot over the last um, five months, you know, about the kids who um, need to go to school to be in a safe environment and that those teachers love them and care for them as if they were their own. And so our prayer will be for, you know, just health for our teachers um, so they can do what God has called them to do to love on these kids um, and create a space for them uh, that is safe where they can learn and uh, and grow. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. It's crazy to think that August is all. Well, August is here um, and uh, <laughs> August is here. Well, I would love to introduce our listeners to our very, very special guest today. Before I do that, let me uh, give you our key verse for today. John 14. 13 and 14, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The scripture will become very important as we walk with our 
guest today. We have Brian Allered in, with us, joining us today. Brian was born in Southern California. He spent much of his childhood in Mexico, Costa Rica, Guatemala, where his parents served as missionaries. And while on the mission field, he became fluent in Spanish and developed a passion for missions. He gave his life to Christ when he was four years old. I can't wait to hear that story. And he received what's called a ministry when he was 12. He went to Bible um, college and has been full-time ministry since 1993. Uh, I tell you what, friends, we are so blessed to have Brian Allered with us today. He uh, is the president and CEO of America Praise and World Praise and leads a weekly Bible study for the New Mexico legislatures. Um, it's just legislators. Uh, he has preached to thousands of people and trained thousands of leaders in a mini nation. He's been married for over two decades, has three beautiful children, and lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today on Let's Talk. Hey, so great to be with you, Carrie and Kathy. Miss Miss Evelyn, Evelyn's like a mom to me, and so uh, miss her, but it's an honor to be with you and Kathy today. Awesome. I know we're missing Miss Evelyn too. She was very sad to not be with us today. Um, I, I'm sure she was lamenting that she told us that she was, and so we're grateful that that you're with us, Brian. Oh, thank you. It's a joy to be here. Uh, yeah, you know, I was born in uh, Los Angeles, and uh, when, when I was a year old, my parents moved to Costa Rica as missionaries. So we were there about two years. Came back to came back to LA, and then we went to Guatemala. And uh, four and a half years old, gave, gave my life to Jesus. So we had gone out uh, to about once a month. My parents would uh, we'd go out to the to the ocean and and uh, we'd wa- do water baptisms once a month. And so, you know, probably 50, 60 people got water baptized. And it's not like in America where it's like, you know, boom, we got to get them through the line because we got announcements. <laughs> and and you, I mean, it's like an eight hour service. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> our worship, two hours of preaching, and then three hours of baptisms, and lunch, and then more baptisms, and everybody would give a testimony, and then they would pray over every person, and that, I mean, that went on, and then anybody else want to give your life to Jesus, and always other people would get saved, and I don't know, just watching all those people come out of the water just hit me like, I need Jesus, you know, I mean, I knew who Jesus was, we prayed as a family, we read the family Bible, you know, I mean, I knew who Jesus was, and so that, that night went to my dad's office and said, I, I want Jesus in my heart, and and I prayed with me, and I remember closing my eyes and praying and just feeling light and just knowing that God loved me and that God came in my heart. And God died for all my all those cookies I had stolen without telling, uh, you know, but I knew that I had saved my sins, right? It wasn't a lengthy list at four, but, uh, but I was a sinner, and I needed Jesus. And came into my heart, and that was 41 years ago. And I've never, never once doubted my sin. I haven't always served God, but I've never doubted uh, his salvation, his love for me. I haven't always served him like I wanted to. Uh, but yeah, four and a half years old, gave my life to Christ, 12 years old, got water baptized, Costa Rica, get, you know, felt the call to ministry. And, and, uh, so yeah, it's been an amazing, amazing journey to know Christ from, from a young age. So uh, Brian, I have a question about that. So when you were four years old, standing in the water in Guatemala, getting ready to be baptized, uh, did they make you give your testimony? I mean, what can you possibly say or what were they making? Did they, they have you confess the truth of Christ? You know, just just a con- just a confession about about Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, you know, is your Lord and Savior? And so, uh, and I did. And so, yeah. So, give my life to Christ at a really young age. And, and the truth is, most people that get saved get saved before the age of fourteen, right? We know that 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 most people who come to Christ come to Christ at a young age. And so, I think it's the, just the simple gospel. You know, Jesus said, "Let the children come to me. Let the little ones." Come. The disciples are like, "No, let's get them away in another room." And, he said, let, let the kids come to me. And so, so powerful to see now my kids have all had a personal experience with Christ at a young age that we haven't tried to force on them. We tried to lead them to Jesus, but let them, let them choose Christ. And so, yeah, it's been an amazing it's, journey. It's a winsome relationship, I think. And uh, I love it when, when Christ just gets a hold of a child's heart and you see the change in that beautiful little heart. Um, okay, well, I, I know there's something that I'm, I'm dying to ask you and I really want you to share with our listeners because when you were young, it, you felt called to ministry. And uh, so you you kind of knew early on in your life that this is what God had for you to do. And I want you to share and, and maybe share some advice and give some other that you can share with some other young people that are being called to ministry. How do you answer that call? What do you do? What and uh, 
what steps do you take? Because sometimes it can feel like a pretty overwhelming call. Friends, we are done with our first segment. It just passes so fast. But we have some great time this morning with Brian. Uh, you're going to want to stay with us to not only share about his call to ministry and uh, how he responded to that call, but what God has done with him over the last 30-plus uh, years in ministry. We're going to go in here from our sponsors Friends, stay with us for Love Talk right after this. And welcome back, friends, to Love Talk. This is Kathy and DeBrock. And with uh, Carrie Brinkader, Coach Carrie Brinkader Day, we are missing our beautiful Mrs. Evelyn Davison. She is out with her, her man, Van, on their 69th wedding anniversary trip, a trip that he kept secret from everyone. I think, I think the only ones to know are their two sons. Uh, Danny and, uh, and Bobby, I think those are the only two that, that know exactly where they are, but it's kind of, I, we just love it how wonderful Van is to whisk her away for a 69th wedding anniversary trip. Well, we are talking today, friends. We are in uh, our new series on the love season and we're talking about prayer today. We have the incredible guest, Pastor Brian Allered. And he's a, an adopted son to Miss Evelyn. So she's uh, telling me and, and Carrie, you better take really good care of Brian because he's kind of <laughs> like your brother. He's a sibling because Miss <laughs> Evelyn, she's like our adopted mom and, and, and we're her adopted daughters. And, and Brian has that incredible status of being the adopted son with Miss Evelyn and um so we're all just three siblings having a fun conversation today on the radio and sharing this incredible book to you, uh, What Happens When People Pray. And I mean, Brian, I, I'm really excited to get into this book because when I read the review by Dick Eastman, it just absolutely blew me away. But I did promise our listeners when we were going out, excuse me, out from our from our first break, uh, that you would answer a question that I know uh, a lot of you don't know what to do with and and it's this that that when you were young you felt the call to ministry and uh that can be a pretty overwhelming call i think for for youth how did you answer that call what advice would you have to youth who 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 believe they have that call on their life to go into ministry That's great. Thank you, Kathy. You know, uh, I love the verse in Jeremiah 1 and verse 5 where God says to Jeremiah, you know, be before I formed, formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And uh, before you were born, I called you, set you apart, you know, chose you and appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. And the truth is that applies to every every believer. That you could fill in the blank. I, I called you to be an architect. I called you to be a teacher. I called you to be a business person. I called you, right? We, we are all called, uh, just, just different functions in the kingdom, but we, we all have a call in our life. Everybody, everybody who chooses Christ is, is called, right? We're all called of God. And, um, and I love Mark three. Jesus spends the night in prayer, uh, before he chooses his 12 disciples. He had many people following him, thousands. And out of those thousands of followers, he was going to choose 12 disciples that would walk with him and this is going to become his his inner core leadership team. And interesting that even the son of God, uh, the all-knowing God, spent a night in prayer to choose wisely, right? Uh, the importance of prayer before we make major decisions, choosing what leaders you're going to put around you. And he spent the night in prayer and then chose 12. And it says in Mark 3, verse 12 and 13, that he, he called them to be with him. And the Greek would read to be constantly with him. Right. So he, the call is to be constantly with Jesus. And then he would send them out to preach, to teach, to lead, to make disciples, to, to heal the sick, to do the things that we're called to do. But the first calling is to Christ. And so, you know, I think the best way to discover your calling is to discover the one who calls you. The Bible says faithful is the one who calls you and he will do it. So it's not as much about what you can do, but it's developing a personal relationship with the one who's called you because it's not about your abilities. Uh, it's about his faithfulness and he's called you and he will do it. And so I think it's first about relationship. Uh, the more I know Christ, then the more I'll discover my calling. And so my calling isn't, isn't my choice. It's, it's my discovery, right? Uh, there, there's mm -hmm. an assignment on my life, on your life, on Carrie's life, on every listener's life and on their children. There's an assignment, a God assignment. There's something that only we can do. 
Uh, and that's our discovery. And we discover it through life, through relationship with Christ, through mentors. Uh, big, big believer in the power of having a mentor and having people speak into your life. The Bible says the multitude of counselors are their safety. And so I think we discover our calling through Christ, through relationship, through community. Uh, people will point out. So at a young age, people will tell me, uh, you know, we feel like you're called to be a preacher. And I'd go, really? You know, <laughs> where, where did you see that? You know? No, I knew I was called, uh, but I was very shy. I, I wasn't outgoing, uh, hated public speaking, right? In, in America, the number one fear in America uh, is the fear of public speaking. The number two fear in America is the fear of death. And so Americans would rather die <laughs> than have to speak in public, right? So, like, I hated public speaking. That that wasn't my my personality. I didn't like the limelight. I didn't want to be in front of people, but. All throughout life, people would tell me, hey, you're going to be a preacher one day. So you, you take those things. You guard those things. You know, all the things that the prophet spoke about Jesus says that Mary nurtured those in her heart. She guarded them in her heart. And so, you know, I think we discovered through relationship with Christ first, but then through community and having people speak into our lives. And so uh, and, and it's funny, you know, I wanted to be Chris Tomlin before Chris Tomlin was Chris Tomlin. So, uh, you know, when I went to Bible college, I, I wanted to preach, but I, I'm a worshiper. I love to worship. I love to sing. I sing off key, but I, but I love to sing, right? I love to worship God. And so uh, there was a world-class um, guitar teacher at our, at our college and uh, who had trained some of the best classical guitarists in, in the world, actually. And so um, and so I, I, I asked Chris, I said, hey, can I pay you to give me guitar lessons? And so I took lessons for a year and practiced four hours a day, I think when I was 18, 19, and uh, had a chance about a year in to go lead worship at a, at a small country church for the weekend. And they're like, oh, you play guitar. Why don't you lead, lead worship and, and then preach? And and uh, it was really rough. You know? And about <laughs> halfway through, uh, it was me on an acoustic guitar and an organist. And about halfway through, the organist just stopped, put her hands on the organ and, you know, just stopped. <laughs> And, uh, and I'm like looking at her like, okay, you're not going to fight to do the rest of the worship set myself, you know, and it was rough. And uh, <laughs> so I got home that night to the college and I, I said to my mentor, Chris, I said, hey, I've been, you know, practicing for about a year now, uh, three or four hours at most days. And, um, you know, I led worship for the first time yesterday on guitar and, and it was pretty rough, you know. So like, when do I get good? You know, a year. <laughs> Uh, like year five or like when, and he said, Brian, can I be honest with you? And I said, yeah. And, uh, he goes, you're never going to be good. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> what? And, um, he said, you have short stubby fingers. You don't have a good ear for music and you don't have a good voice. And so at best you'll be average. Uh, you'll never be great and probably not even good. <laughs> crush my dream you know there goes my Chris Tomlin dream uh, being a worship leader and so and I'm like okay well thanks for letting me off easy and he said but you know what you could be a really good Bible teacher and he said you know I, I heard you speak this semester in chapel I think I was a third semester student and we we're supposed to do a uh, 10 to 15 minute sermon in chapel and uh, a lot of the students struggled to get to the 15 minutes I went 45 minutes you know <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I had like 40 Bible verses in my in my talk. And so he said, you know, you could be a – if you gave your life to that. So he goes, so my advice, just as a friend and mentor, would be, you know, throw your life into the Word and into, you know, be a worshiper. But that's a hobby and a passion, not a, not a calling. And so sometimes we discover, you know, what are we good at, what do we enjoy doing, and, and what will make an impact, and what will glorify God. Those are kind of the things that, that I look for. So – I had a passion for it, but passion is not enough. It was a hobby, not a calling, right, to, to, to be in worship. Mm -hmm. um, I loved doing it. I enjoyed doing it, I had it, but I wasn't good at it. Nobody would ever pay me to do that. You know, they'd pay <laughs> me to stop singing. Uh, and so you, you discover where, where your passions and your strengths and gifts collide. At that corner, sometimes you'll find your calling, right? What are you good at? What has God gifted you to do? What do you love to do? Um, what what will glorify God uh, the most and what will make an impact on others. And so just pursuing that calling through God, through life, a lot of experiences we had along the way, a lot of jobs I had along the way that got me here that I didn't enjoy, but you learned something along the way. And so just trying to in, enjoy the journey. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey with God. 
and uh, it's been an amazing journey. Well, you you have had an amazing journey. Thank you for telling us that. It's um, it's comical, and I'm glad you can look back on that and <laughs> understand that somebody was speaking truth into your life, even though it was a little painful at the time. Um, you know, a, a lot of what you're doing now with your life started about four or five years ago. Um, I guess really came to a head four or five years ago. You came to Austin in 2016 with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association for a prayer rally at the state capitol. And you met a pastor there named Trey Kent. Um, and he's the founder of Unceasing Prayer Movement here in Austin. Can you tell us how that relationship really solidified some things that you already knew um, were bubbling up in your life? Yeah, thank you, Kerry. You know, um, I was working as the regional manager for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and back in 2016, Franklin Graham uh, was going to all 50 states doing the Decision America Tour. Some of you might remember that. And uh, so I was I was managing 10 of those states. Uh, to mobilize churches and believers to come to the capitals. And so in each of our state capitals, we would hire a city captain. Uh, and that was typically a pastor or an influencer, somebody with influence in that city uh, that could mobilize churches and people in prayer. And, of course, in, in Austin, that was our, our good friend, Pastor Trey Kent. So we actually hired him for the team. He was on my team, but I hadn't met him. And so I uh, came out to Austin to meet him, and we were getting ready for – the prayer rally with, with Franklin at the state capitol. And, uh, and so we, we brought him on the team. We're getting ready. And, and I, you know, I got to, I got to go to Oklahoma city the next day and then Topeka, Kansas the next day. And so, uh, but it just, my heart was struck when I heard Trey and Marianne, uh, tell the story how 12 years ago they were on a walk. Uh, and, uh, God just dropped it in, in Trey's heart and said, you know, what would happen if, if you asked every church in Austin to take a monthly day of prayer? And that church covered that day, their day, in 24-7 prayer, kind of a Moravian prayer chain model. Uh, you know, somebody pray at 12 a.m., somebody pray at 1 a.m., somebody pray at 2 a.m. And, you know, what if you asked every church? And so, you know, I said, well, how, how's that going, you know? And, and at that time, he was about seven years in. And so, in my experience, most prayer initiatives don't last more than two, three years, you know. It's very rare to find a prayer initiative that's still going strong seven years in. And so in my mind, I'm going, well, that's amazing. It must be dying, you know. <laughs> and he's like, it's going stronger than ever. Well, what has God done in your city? So he starts to tell me what God had done in Austin. And, and I'm like, wow, uh, that's, that's amazing, you know. And I, I love the model. I love the idea of united prayer for a city um, because nobody had to give up anything, right, because every church owned their day of prayer. So the Pentecostal church could pray, you know, Tons of fire from heaven. And the back, on the Baptist Day Church, everybody gets saved again. Amen. You know, and <laughs> on the charismatic church's day, I mean, they take their day and they can blow the shofar off key and wave the flags. And, you know, on the reform, reformed church's day of prayer, we're very theological and we quote Piper and Spurgeon and Keller. Got to throw a good Spurgeon Keller or, or Keller quote in there, you know, and very theological. And, uh, you know, and then the Bible church on their day, they can exegete Leviticus 16, you know, like every church could do it their way. We weren't telling anybody how to pray and everybody could be part of the movement, you know, um, Pentecostal, Baptist, Reform, Catholic, Lutheran, you know, non-denominational Bible. And I just thought, man, Trey, that's a really good model. Uh, you know, man, somebody should be doing that in Albuquerque. You know, I, I'm too busy. I was still pastor at the time, uh, still senior pastor at my church, Passion Church, and then working full time with the Billy Graham Association. And so I just thought somebody should be doing this. You know, it's not going to be me. And we're there with 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 Franklin and Governor Abbott was there. We had an incredible turnout um, at, at the state capitol in April of 2016, and, and God just starts talking to me. You're going to take this back and do this in Albuquerque. And I'm like, no, I'm not, Lord. <laughs> I will share the vision with somebody <laughs> who can run with it, you know. And I, and I said to Trey, I said, man, this is a great model. Like, this would work in Dallas. This would work in Albuquerque. This would work in Denver. This would work in Portland. Like, this would work in, in, in New Delhi. Because it wouldn't depend on your weekend attendance. You know, if you're running 40 members, you can do a half a day at church or 40,000. It wouldn't depend if you were left-leaning or right-leaning. It wouldn't depend if you were, you know, what theological stream you were from or your annual budget. Every church could take a day of prayer or half a day of prayer. And when I was in Bible college, the story that impacted me the most was the story of Count Zinzendorf. 
and the Moravians and uh, how God called them to 20 back in 1727, um, called them into 24 seven prayer. They started a prayer chain and two people praying every hour. So imagine at 3 a.m. somebody gets up to pray without alarms, <laughs> with no iPhone to wake you up. And then somebody, two people would pray at 4 a.m. And, you know, that prayer meeting lasted 100 years. It's called the 100-year prayer meeting. Actually, with almost 110 years that they prayed 24-7 prayer. Oh, Within wow. just a few years, they sent 300 missionaries around the world from this little community. And uh, so that was the story. So when Trey starts talking Zinzendorf from Moravian, and, and I'm like, okay, you're speaking my heart language here, you know. And I just said, Trey, that's like a great model, like, that would work really just about any city in, in the world that I can think of. And, you know, that wouldn't depend mm-hmm. on culture or really anything. Or side. I mean, a smaller city could do it. Like, wow, that's you. You should take this national. And he said, I, I don't feel like I'm the guy to do that. Maybe you're the guy. I'm like, no. I'm just going to make sure some <laughs> people show up at the Capitol when Franklin comes into town. I mean, like, I mean, I think it's great, but you know. And so what what happened was um, I was on the tour with Franklin Graham, and I had ten states that I was helping coordinate. Helped lead as a, as a regional manager and my daughter got sick. And she about the beginning, end of March, she'd had a stomach ache, uh, some stomach aches. We'd gone to urgent care kind of a thing and like, you know, a million, a stomach ache can, for, especially for a teen, you know, could be any one of 10 million things, you know, like the doctors are like, we don't know, should go away, you know, and it didn't. And so I was, I was on the tour and, uh, my wife calls at the end of April and says, uh, Hey babe, you need to come home. Chloe's. We went to the ER and now she's in the hospital. They, they admitted her and said something's really wrong. And so over the next six weeks, she play would go from stomach pain, uh, and they, they thought it was nerve damage. They weren't sure how she got it, what kind of virus or what happened, but they thought she had nerve damage in her stomach. They tried to treat that. She had a reaction to the medication. So she ended up in a wheelchair. Uh, she was in a wheelchair for a few months. And, um, so I'm like, what happened here? My daughter had a stomach ache. And- and so she went from running track to wheelchair and then couldn't stand on her own and uh, then started having migraines. And then on May 13th of 2016, they admitted her to the hospital, to Children's Hospital here in Albuquerque. And uh, they said, we need to do a set of MRIs or urgently. And I'm like, okay, like, can't we wait till Monday? And they said, no, we can't wait. we got to do it tonight, you know, get you in the hospital. And we'll do it. And they want to do the MRI like at 1 a.m. And I'm like. What what are you looking for? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that has to be done at one a.m. I mean, what what's going on here? You know, and they said, well, we, we were thinking maybe a, a, a rare aggressive form of MS, uh, but it, but it's mm-hmm. not. We don't really know what's happening, honestly. So we're we're very concerned uh, because uh, she's crashing really fast, and so she lost mobility in her arms and and, and limbs, and just it was going bad. And then she had complete amnesia. Um, didn't know her name, didn't know her year. The neurologist came in. You know, I had, she couldn't open her eyelids. <laughs> so I'm like, and Chloe was nope. 12, right? She was 12. She was 12 years mm-hmm. old. And um, she she didn't know her name, didn't know the year. Uh, the neurologist, I had to hold her eyelids open so they could, he could question her because she couldn't open her eyelids. We're like, why can't you open your eyes? I don't know. They won't open. I'm like, that can't be good. <laughs> and no feeling in the left side of her body. So like, He'd tap her arm and no feeling, no feeling in her in her leg uh, at all. Couldn't open her eyes. She didn't, and complete amnesia. Didn't know the year. The neurologist said, "Where do you go to school?" And she said, "What what what a school?" So here's my my honor student, you know, straight A student, track athlete. Now she can't walk and doesn't know her name. Doesn't know what a school is. So I'm like, wow. oh, okay, you know. And uh, so they they left. That was about 4 a.m. and uh, and I'd sent my wife Mercy home. Uh, because she's a professor at Central New Mexico uh, College, and so I'd sent her home. She had a class that she wrote that she was teaching the next morning. So I'll take tonight. You get tomorrow night. So I sent her home. So I call her for him, get to the hospital, something bad. So I put, I put Chloe yeah. on FaceTime, held, held her eyelid open, and let Mercy see her. And, and uh, I said, she, my wife says, hey, baby, mommy's coming. I'll be right there. And so we hung up the phone, and, and my daughter goes, what What a mommy. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, so my wife came around 8 a.m. The neurologist came back in at 9 a.m. The top neurologist uh, in the state uh, came in and said, your daughter will never walk again. And um, we don't know why her eyelids won't open, but there's nothing mechanically wrong. So, I mean, we're hoping that her eyelids will be able to open again. And uh, with therapy, she should regain mobility in her left arm and all that. But she'll 
so never and, and feeling, but she's never going to walk again, and and she's going to live in very severe nerve pain the rest of her life. Uh, wow. My, my my wife goes to teach her class, and I'm like, baby, don't leave me alone. And she said, I wrote the class. There's no substitute. And my wife's just a very responsible person, you know, and this is her her character. So she said, let me go start the class, get them the syllabus, and I'll come back. And in that hour when she was gone, I went to the corner of the room and knelt 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 on the hospital floor. My they put Chloe to sleep. She was in so much pain, they put her to sleep. And so um I just said, God, don't don't take my baby girl, you know. Uh she's twelve, she's my I have three kids, she's my firstborn, and so God, just don't take my baby girl. And wrestled with God in prayer for an hour, and as I'm sure everybody listening has wrestled at some time, you know, when when life hurts. And uh you know, the only response that I got from God was was this, and, and it was a real simple, still small voice, start 24-7 prayer, and I'll take care of your baby girl. And I honestly was so angry at God um, that, that in that my broken state that he could ask that of me. Uh, my daughter's life was hanging on by a thread. Just told she never going to walk again. She can't even open her eyes. She doesn't know who she is. Uh, I was the only person she recognized. She said, hey, you, Dad, you love me. But that was her one memory. And so, God, you can't ask me to start another. Like, I'll quit Billy Graham. I'll quit my church. We'll figure out health care. Like, I want to be my, my – I don't want to do more ministry. I want to do – and that sounds like a lot of work, you know, getting all these churches in Albuquerque to take a day. But that sounds like a lot of work. I don't want to do that. Uh, but the spirit went relentless. About an hour and I surrendered and I said, okay, God, I'll, I'll, I guess we'll, and, and Trey's website is like austinpraise.com. So I thought, okay, well, I could do albuquerquepraise.com, you know, and I know 300 pastors in my city and 500 and I know 300 of them. So surely I can get 30 of them to each take a day of prayer. I'll take a day of prayer. So yeah, we can get 31 days covered. We can get every day covered. And, and, uh, you know, the spirit spoke again. The still small voice spoke again in my heart and said, not, not Albuquerque, but the whole state, not just New Mexico, but all 50 states and not just America, but I want you to raise up a movement of prayer, uh, in every city, every state, every nation till I come back. Then I really started crying. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'm not sure how to, I'm not sure how to get my church to be a more praying church. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a man of prayer. My wife is a woman of prayer. We teach a lot on prayer, but, you know, uh, to really get our, is our church a house of prayer? I don't know. I mean, we're a praying church, but we're not even praying as much as I want. How do I mobilize the city in prayer? But the spirit went relentless, so we surrendered. And, you know, two days later, she got up out of the wheelchair. Her memory came back, and she recognized her mother, and she recognized her brother and sister, and knew what a school was, knew, remembered what year it was, and got out of that wheelchair and walked for the first time in almost six weeks. And, uh, you know, it was equal parts joy and, and pain because here's my track athlete stumbling to walk across the room like a newborn fawn learning to walk, right? I mean, like she stumbled, took like four or five steps, and then collapsed in my arms. And so I was excited. Like they said, she'd never walk again. And <laughs> within 48 hours, she took five steps. But then it's also the realization of she can't even walk five steps without falling, right? So it was like... I'm excited, but I'm broken at the same time. Does that make sense? And uh, Absolutely. But she wanted to go home. We, we took her home. And uh, I remember we got downstairs. We took her in the wheelchair, and then she got out. And, and I'm filming her walk from the wheelchair, except six, seven, eight steps to my wife's knee then. And it hits me. You know, God's like, I kept my end of the bargain. <laughs> uh, you know, within 48 hours, she's walking, struggling, but walking, and she's out of the hospital. And I'm like, Oh, stink. No, I got to keep my hand in the bar. No, no I got to start 24-7 prayer. I don't know how to do that, Lord. And so, But we launched New Mexico Praise on January 1st. Um, you know, it took a few months to get that organized. And Chloe still struggled, uh, but a few months for her to learn how to walk again and, and get better without a wheelchair but and figure out some food allergies. But she started to improve, not 100%, and we launched New Mexico Praise. And what, what God did that just – was completely astounding and miraculous, and then that turned into America Praise and then World Praise, and it's just been an amazing journey uh, to see what God will do through united prayer. So Jed Renor, the great Baptist, you know, revivalist and historian, said that, uh, you know, there's no great spiritual awakening that's begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer. So to see mm-hmm. Baptists and Catholics and Calvary Chapel and Assemblies of God and and Nazarene and Lutheran and Methodists and, and Bible and non-denominational and Messianic Jewish, all come, black and white, Hispanic, native, all come together to cover a city, a state, a nation, 
in day and night prayer. I really believe that pleases the heart of God. United prayer pleases the heart of God, right? When we when we pray. So anyhow, it's been amazing. Well, Brian, when we return after our break, I want to ask you a question. And listeners, this is what is in Brian's book, When People Pray. And you'll be shocked by this statement. And I, I, I love, I, I know I'm going to love Brian's answer. It's thought provoking. There is no power in prayer, not a single drop. Hmm. We'll let Brian describe that and explain that statement to us when we return to Love Talk right after this. Hello, friends, and welcome back to today's Christian Talk. You have found the love ladies, Coach Carrie Brinkater, Kathy Endebrock, and, oh, man, our amazing guest today, Brian Allered. Thank you so much, Brian. In your book, When People Pray, what happens when ordinary people pray to an extraordinary God? You actually make this statement. There is no power in prayer. Not a single drop. That seems to go against the even the title of your book. <laughs> what happens when ordinary people pray to an extraordinary God? Explain this statement to us, Brian, because I think that a lot of people struggle with prayer. They think, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I, I mean, it doesn't matter if I pray or not. Um, but you have a very unique and interesting take on this. Help us out. Yeah, you know, uh, as I'm sitting there, clinic after clinic, um, you know, doctor after doctor, and being told we don't know how to help your daughter, and we're praying, and we're praying, and we're mobilizing prayer, and Mama Evelyn had probably thousands of people praying, you know, and she prayed with us that whole nightmare, and uh, and you're just like, the more we pray, the worse it gets, you know, maybe I should just stop praying, you know, I don't know, because mm-hmm. prayer's not working. And I think every person can relate to that, the time when prayer didn't work, when you didn't see the answer to prayer. So we love telling the stories of answered prayer, but I, I think the Bible's just as honest about unanswered prayer and the pain of un- unanswered prayer, the pain of delayed answers to prayer. The Bible's mm-hmm. a lot more honest about that than the church is. Uh, Absolutely. We're afraid to yeah. say something that might hurt people, but the truth is they're already hurting it's better to be honest in it. So many people in the Bible didn't get the answers to the prayers they were looking for. Uh, but behind that is a faithful God. And so, you know, one day I'm just sitting and I'm like, you know, I've heard all my life there's power in prayer. I've taught, I've preached sermons called the power of prayer, right? Like uh, I'm starting a prayer movement. <laughs> like I should, be, I should probably believe in the power of prayer. If I'm going to be selling this, I should probably believe in my own product, you know. And I was just in a, in a heartbroken state. It was actually Father's Day. She got out of the hospital uh, the end of May and, and Father's Day. That, that Father's Day, I said, God, uh, I just want one you know, thing. If you give me one thing, I have to go to church and preach, and I don't want to preach. I don't even want to go to church, but I have to. I'm the pastor, so I need to go. And, um, they need to hear from their, their senior pastor. So I went. I said, God, one thing, when I get back, and Chloe couldn't go. She was t- still too sick. But when I get home, I want Chloe to be able to have family lunch with us. And I get home. And she starts, I, I made steak, and then my wife got home and made the rest, and we're eating on Father's Day 2016, and then about five minutes in, she starts screaming in pain. And uh, so I had to pick her up, carry her to the room, my 12-year-old daughter to the room, screaming in pain, uh, to our master bedroom. I come back out to get her plate and get my plate. And then uh, my, my son, Colin, goes, Dad, you're not going to eat lunch with us? You're going to go. I said, she can't feed herself because she was still struggling with mobility. And feeding herself and learning all her motor skills again. It was a real struggle. And uh, I said, honey, if you were sick, I'd be in the room with you. And then my baby girl, Lauren, starts crying. Daddy, don't go. It's Father's Day. You know, so it's impossible. It's a lose-lose situation. Leave my daughter alone crying in the room or, or leave my other kids crying in, the, in the, the dining room to go be with my daughter. And I said, let me go feed her, try and get her to sleep, and then I'll, I'll come out watch a movie with you guys. And and I'm in bed, and we're eating, and I'm just crying, just going, God, you couldn't give me that one thing. And I'm really hurt. I mean, just be honest. I'm really hurt at God. I'm really raw, really angry, actually, you know. And I got, couldn't you just do that? Let us have a meal together without her suffering and hurting. And, and I don't understand why my prayers, why pray? I, I Why am I going to pray anymore? It doesn't work. Um, and honestly, I was so fed up, but I'm just like, man, there's no power in prayer. Um, but I realized this scripture teaches that Christ is the power of God, right? Mm-hmm. And when he rose from the dead, he said, all power and all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And so, you know, what I came to realize that the power is not in prayer. The power is in Jesus. 
and and prayer is is prayers. I say I compare this that prayer is like a set of car keys. You can't drive your car keys, right? <laughs> uh, but what but 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 what what a car key does is it gives you access, right, to the power and potential of the motor and the engine and, and the battery and the alternator and all the the equipment that's in your vehicle. Prayer is the key. It turns the ignition. Mm-hmm. So prayer gives you access to the power of God. So prayer connects us to God, but he's the power. And I think sometimes we feel like, and I, and I chose this subtitle, what happens when ordinary people pray an extraordinary God, because I think most people feel that way. They feel ordinary. They don't feel like they're great prayer giants or prayer heroes or, you know, eloquent in their prayers. And, but, but what I've learned is this, that God answers and listens to and cares about the prayers of ordinary simple people that don't feel like they're intercessors don't feel like they have great faith uh, and god hears all those prayers you know the bible says that not one hair can fall from any head that the god doesn't see and know and care the average person loses 100 hairs a day some more some less some don't have 100 to lose right uh, <laughs> but but you think with nearly 8 billion people that's 800 billion hairs that are going to fall today just today and if you read in the greek almost reads the greek can read like this uh, the, the original that God said, every hair is numbered, right? Every hair has a number. And so 800 billion hairs will fall today and God sees and knows every, God notices every hair that falls. And every sparrow woke up today and, and found a worm to eat or, or a piece of bread. Like there's not mass starvation among the world's sparrows, right? You know, and the Bible right. says if he cares for the sparrows and the lilies, we not much more care for you. And so we tried to be honest in this book about some amazing stories of answered prayer how crime went down in our city i got invited by the chief of police to city hall to record a video at city hall talking about the power of prayer how power the power of prayer reduced crime in our city and i'm going well it was jesus who reduced crime in our city we partnered with him through prayer right and but we Mm -hmm. just discovered that the power is in jesus and i you know i love hebrews 11 the faith chapter right and and it's all these stories of the giants and heroes of faith, you know. Uh, but then the end of the chapter, you know, talks about some people who didn't have answers to prayer. Hebrews eleven thirty five. Others were tortured and refused their faith. Refused or released by faith. So they might gain a better resurrection. Some were endured mocking and flogging, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in half. They were put to death. They were went around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, oppressed, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains. And you're just like, okay, when does this get better? And hidden caves and hidden holes <laughs> in the ground. And, and all these, listen, were commended for their faith. Yet they did not receive what was promised. And so, um, and I came to learn that prayer is not just about the outcome. A prayer, and I'm an outcomes guy, a results oriented leader. But uh, prayer is more about the object of prayer, Jesus, than it is about the outcome. It's more about Jesus and what you learn with him as you journey with him in prayer than getting the new house or the new car, right, or your daughter getting healed or financial provision or all the things that we pray for. Prayer is about Jesus and uh, learning to love him when he answers prayer and when he doesn't answer prayer. And uh, so we just tried to be honest about some of the pain of unanswered prayer. We're four and a half years in, and, and Chloe's still not 100%. And that's been a very painful mm-hmm. journey. A lot of tears, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of sleepless nights. And we've just come, uh, to let go of our anger. And, uh, cause I was angry at God. I was disappointed with God. And, uh, but you know, the Bible's really honest about that. Jeremiah 20. Jeremiah says, from the moment I started preaching your word, right? Uh, you deceived me and I was deceived. You didn't tell me it was going to be this bad <laughs> if I'd known. Right. How much it would cost. I would have never signed up for this. And uh, he says, but nevertheless, I'll praise your name. And then he curses his birthday. Cursed would be the day that they brought my father the news that he'd given son, his wife had given birth to a, to a male child, you know. And like he's conflicted, right? I love you, Lord. And I'm cursing my own birthday. Like, I wish I'd never been born. He's conflicted. And I love it that the Bible doesn't clean that up. And the Bible didn't right. edit that out of Jeremiah's story. He was called by God. He responded to the call, uh, but the call was a lot harder than he had bargained for. And he's in pain and he's hurting. He's disappointed with God. And uh, the Bible's really honest about that. And so we have to work through that, through our unanswered prayer, through our pain, uh, to find this hope in this extraordinary God 
who delights to answer the prayers of, of just ordinary, simple people. They don't feel like they're great prayer warriors. Um, but also, but understand that God makes all things beautiful in His time. And so, God doesn't answer prayers when and how we think. He, Father knows best, right? So, God's this amazing, extraordinarily wise God. And He does listen to every prayer. And He will answer them in His will, in His time, in His space. You know, according to His will, He will answer. Um, and you so, know, we've just come to lean in God. I love how honest you are, Brian, about about all this. I was actually... Speaking with a former player of mine earlier this week, and um, since she played for me, she's definitely struggled with some mental illness. And, you know, she's in her 30s now, and she's still struggling. And she has um, come to an amazing relationship with Jesus over the last uh, couple of months, and she's beginning to learn that, you know what, just like you said, Brian, Prayer is, is powerless on its own, but it gives you access to Jesus, right? And you pray because Jesus is worthy. And that's what you, exactly how you put it in your book. Um, Brian, tell our listening friends how they can find you and how they can get a copy of your book. Yeah, so if you go to winpeoplepray.com, W-H-E-N, peoplepray.com, they can order. We have bulk sales there for churches. You can also get it on Amazon in paperback or Kindle version. It's also on iBooks. And so... Um, yeah, you get it at Amazon uh, or whenpeoplepray.com. You can follow me at Brian Allard, um, you know, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc. But thank you. It's such an honor to be with you today on Love Talk. Love and appreciate you both. Give my love to Evelyn. Thank you, Brian. Uh, you know, listening friends, uh, sometimes life is hard. And we talk about that a lot here on Love Talk, that um, we weren't promised that every day would be awesome. Because that's just not life. And I think what Brian so eloquently tells us and shows us here is that, you know what? Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of our prayers. He's worthy of us crying out to him in the good times and in the hard times. Um, I would encourage you to get this book. You can download it on your Kindle or you can download it right on your, on your, um, on your laptop or on your phone, it's, again, the title of the book is When People Pray. What happens when ordinary people pray to an extraordinary God? For my beautiful friend, Kathy Enderbrock, for our mentor, Miss, Mrs. Evelyn Davison, I am Coach Carrie Brinkader. We love you, and we'll see you next time right here on Love Talk.